You're listening to Sport Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. You've got to find professionals who are prepared to go, well, I haven't got a media career and actually this is good fun and I can start what I like here and be a little bit controversial and not worry about it and everyone else is going to join in with me. It's a 1080p camera for 700 quid and I can whack that into my computer on a little box that cost me 125 quid that I found on the internet. That goes into a little bit of software called Wirecast, which is $700. You know, you've got pretty much an online broadcast suite. And everyone has the capability of doing it. It's whether you can stick it long enough. Hi there. Now, Sport Digital and Social has not been going that long, but we've already spoken to key personnel at some of the world's biggest sports rights holders. However, this podcast is going to be a little different. Gorilla Cricket and its previous incarnation, Test Match Sofa, are challenging the long-established practice of broadcasting England's national sport. Yes, that's right, cricket, not football, is England's national sport. This is not the cosy Cakefield commentary box of the BBC. It's beers and banter in a basement flat, plus some humorous and sometimes sweary jingles at major moments. By the way, you'll hear a few of those dotted throughout this podcast. But I've found real innovation, not just copying and twisting like we all do when we work in content, so often starts at this kind of level and has to fight resistance from those in incumbent positions. So, is Gorilla Cricket a revolutionary new model for live commentary that could be rolled out across different sports? Or is it just a hobby that can only exist in its sporting niche? Make up your own mind, and after listening, let me know at Mr. Richard Clark on all social, or my website, mrrichardclark.com. You'll find the show notes there as well. But first of all, here's the story of Gorilla Cricket. I am Nigel Walker. I am director and owner of Gorilla Cricket, and we do internet broadcast of ball by ball commentary for cricket, all England internationals, and some other things too. He's quite good with a bat. He's got a stupid moustache. He's short and he's fat. He's got a stupid moustache. He's a bit of a twat. He's got a stupid moustache. David Walker's got a stupid moustache. So we're talking after the end of the Ashes series, and I've been listening to your commentary on Gorilla Cricket. You have been producing anarchic, irreverent, wary commentary on Absolutely. England, England quite pissed, too, yeah. <laughs> drunken, yes. through the night, starting at what must be 11 at night and going through to what, 7 in the morning. So all of you must be absolutely shattered on the back of that. I mean, particularly me and Hendo, my partner, we're exhausted. We've covered most of it because obviously we're the guys in charge and if we're not there, then things like that. I mean, I'm technically responsible for getting us on air. So if generally, if I'm not there, things don't happen. Knack or one of our compatriots is quite good with the technology, but others aren't so. And so it relies on us being there. Plus, if we're the boss, it's no good if we're not showing up. Other than that, we've had, we were working out how many con- contributors we've had because obviously we are on this sort of self pay model and so we don't make a lot of money. And so we've had 32 contributors over the course, we reckon, of the Ashes. Myself and Hendo being mostly there most of the time. Yeah, it's not easy and I am absolutely shattered. It kind of plays with your sanity to a certain degree, especially over the Christmas period. I've got kids and so I'm up all night and I'm at home all day, sleeping all day, haven't seen much daylight. Uh, yeah, it does play a bit with your head. Okay, let's dig into all of that, not least your sanity, a little bit later on. Let me run through for the benefit of the people listening to this podcast who don't know too much about the history of guerrilla cricket. I've done a little potted history. You pick the bones out of it. Tell me what's right, what isn't, but let me run through it and then we'll pick it apart. So Test Match Sofa starts in 2009 out of a house in Tooting in South London. It's irreverent, sweary, beery, nerdy, totally biased commentary mainly of England cricket matches. That's the way it starts. It gets a following. The ECB are okay-ish about it. Test match special, the established BBC commentary that goes out on BBC radio. They don't particularly like it, but it continues. The cricketer buy Test Match Sofa, and there's pressures from quote-unquote, the powers that be, that force it off air in 2014. Guerrilla Cricket emerges and takes its place in 2014, July of that year. And now you've come full circle because a guy called Daniel Norcross, who started working on Test Match Sofa and indeed had that house in Tooting, is now part of the quote-unquote legit Test Match special team and he's been working the ashes. But Guerrilla Cricket is now ploughing on its original with that 
sweary, beery, nerdy, biased, anarchic commentary that you do. That is that's my potted history. Is that is that about on the money? That's pretty much correct. I mean, I'm not sure that the, initially the ECB were that worried about us. I think the whole situation with the ECB came about with the fact was that, as far as I'm aware anyway, and this is the story that we all understand being on the inside, was that when we joined up with the cricketer, when the cricketer bought us, because the, the cricketer bought us because Andrew Miller, who was the, the editor of Crick Info at the time, uh, he thought that uh, being everything being online, if the cricketer bought us, and he'd been on the show quite a few times by then and we were quite good friends with Andy Miller if he come on the show and he thought that if the cricketer bought us it would give them an extra offering online which would help their online presence obviously magazines hard copy is you know it's expensive to do and you're going to you're trying to take everything online uh, and then of course Aggers was part of the board at the cricketer and he had a complete strop when they found out that he they bought us CMJ he was on his deathbed writes some quite nasty piece about us in the Times Andrew Miller uh, fought back with his own riposte to that and it all kind of went out of control from there nothing to do with me nothing to do with Dan particularly it was other people taking it on and that brought it to the attention of the ECB and then things did happen like when we were in we were covering a series in India the Daily Mail they'd agreed to put the player for our commentary up on the Daily Mail's website and I think Lawrence had just joined the mail at the time and then he was threatened to be thrown out of the commentary box in India and it all kind of went downhill from there. I'm not sure that the people that Miller convinced to buy us, we are, I'm convinced to this day, they never listened to us on the first broadcast we did because as soon as someone mentioned the minor swear word, we were getting texts and saying you can't do that, you can't do that and the, the relationship was sour for me from the start. Okay, um, my podcast listeners come from foreign climes, so you've mentioned a lot of things they won't know about, <laughs> CMJ and Aggers and things like that. So CMJ is Chris and Martin Jenkins, uh, Aggers is Jonathan Agnew. These are yeah. two of the major broadcasters uh, of, of cricket within the BBC. The Cricketer was a magazine. Now, it, it was a quite innovative approach to give that added value and that stickability that you would get on a website to add your commentary. The only thing is, the only thing that strikes me is the cricketer is, last time I read it was a few years ago, but the but the cricketer was, I would argue it's part of the establishment and you are very yeah. much not part of the establishment. So do you fit together? Well, well, that was my obvious question when we did it. No, and I'm not sure we did, but I think that they were trying to, I think, uh, well, because... Andrew Miller got bought on as uh, to make it more accessible to young people and try and change it, but there was you know there was reticence amongst the people who owned it, and they didn't want to change their style. And they hid us at the back of their website. They didn't even allow us to cover our own website. All these, I thought they could have handled it much much different, but you know I was never included in anything that went in the discussions that went on. And so at the end, what happened in the end is that I think Dan was kind of facing mutiny from a lot of people within the organisation, we were being totally ignored and, and looked down to by these people at the cricketer. And we bought something on board. They weren't supporting us in any way whatsoever. Uh, and a lot of people were saying, well, I just can't be bothered to go on this. You've got to remember the last series we did with the cricketer with, with, uh, was the Ashes when we lost 5-0 again uh, in 13-14. And they'd taken us closer and closer to the sort of BBC light model, which wasn't anything like what we'd signed up to and it was getting quite irritating to be fair and I don't think any of us were, were on board with it and none of us were getting paid enough money to be talked down to like that so there's a lot of sort of mutiny on the cards Dan had been doing talks with Aggers in the background which a few of us knew about and he went off and ploughed his own fire at that point the cricketer said well they had no contact with the rest of us me and Hendo my partner and Katie who was on board for the first year and a half two years of the cricketer uh, with uh, the gorilla we had shares at the cricketer, which we were given when they bought us, because we were kind of leading lights of the original sofa. Uh, we offered them the shares back. We could have our name back. It's got to remember we had 28,000 Twitter followers at the time and all this kind of stuff, uh, and they refused. They asked us not to broadcast. The three of us went to a coffee shop down the road and said, well, sod that. We're not going to be taught how to do stuff and told what to do by these people. So we immediately decided to uh, start again. Hendo came up with the name Gorilla Cricket, and the rest is history. Isn't it? So let's talk about Gorilla Cricket. Let's let's move it forward because I'm interested in Gorilla Cricket, but it, it's important to understand where it, where yeah. it came from. And I, I hasten to add, I don't know the 
who said what, who did what. I know it's a no. complicated story, um, so don't get me in any legal trouble, please. Thank you very much. Oh, no, 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 I'm not trying to. I mean, it, 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 it was the way, you know, I was there. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's cool, it's cool. But, okay, Gorilla Cricket, so you are broadcasting from a house. I think it's your house, but I'm not sure. And you are commentating on professional sport. Now, commentary rights are sold on sport all over the world. Why are you not illegal? Because I'm quite, I'm not quite sure why you're not. As far as my understanding of this, and talking to the lawyer that we originally did, again, he's quite a big shot lawyer that a lot of people seem to know, because people I've dealt with in between all seem to know. Because it seems to come down to second-hand reporting of something you're seeing on the internet. So we're not paying for rights to be at the ground, true. But all we are doing is commenting on something we're seeing. So it's second-hand knowledge, even though it's kind of instantaneous. That's why I don't get how about it. As far as I'm aware, that's the legal workaround. So is that a little bit like Sky Soccer Saturday, where you've got the row of professional footballers looking at games, not commentating per se, but commenting on it? That's not live commentary, and I'm not sure they pay for rights. I think... The Premier League would overlook that because it's because of the huge rights that Sky are paying and you're not paying anything. But is it falling into that bracket? I suppose it has to be. Uh, Yeah, as far as I'm aware, that is exactly where it's at. And no one's ever said to us, you're doing something illegal. I mean, they tried, I think they tried at the cricketer, well, the cricketer claimed that the BBC were trying, but everyone knew it was totally legal and so it never went anywhere and it was all nonsense. And the cricketer's approach, and I, I saw the, the article written by Andrew Miller talking about the need to embrace a different audience with cricket because, you know, I'm a big county cricket fan and you get the feeling that literally the audience is dying out. Uh, you go to a county game, for example, and this is different for test cricket, but if you go to a county game, because of the time in which it's played during the day, it's full of old people. It's full of old people. You need to embrace a new audience. You need to bring more people in. And the way you're doing it is part of that. Is that conscious or is that an argument you've latched upon? <laughs> it is kind of conscious. I mean, the thing is, people, TV and establishment do things in a certain way and they're bound by certain laws, especially on TV and Ofcom and all this kind of stuff. And actually, Actually, how we all watch sport as fans is not necessarily that. And with the amount of information out there on the web and stuff, we all see all this thing. Everyone wants to be a commentator. And why can't you be a commentator? I mean, look, I'm much better than I was when I started six years ago, nine, seven, eight, what, bloody 2009, so nearly nine years ago now. Uh, because you practice at these things, and everyone has the capability of doing it. It's whether you can stick at it long enough, really, and, and learn. And I also have an innate, I mean, I've been playing cricket since I was 12 pretty much retired now but that's 34 years of playing I love the game and I, I like to see it and I think my points of view are valid and I think a lot of people think their points of view are valid and you can all sit around on the sofa and when you're watching a game of cricket and some idiot plays a crap shot you don't all sit there going oh wow really quite bad you're shouting at the telly <laughs> complete amusement and anger and we kind of try that's where we try and bring it to on the screen and I think that relates and plus the the big thing that we do, that everyone could do, but we do in a big way, is communicate with our fan base via Twitter. And they're always commentating us and coming in with questions for us. And we question them. And I think that's a kind of symbiotic relationship that works really well on, a, on an internet channel. Do you know Mark Wood? Yes, he is an England bowler quite good. And pretty quick. So just a normal guy. Of course. Except for just one thing. What? He thinks that he's a horse. Right. What? Who is your audience? Who's the typical gorilla cricket listener? I don't know if there's any typical. They're, a lot of them are international. We've got a lot of Australians. People who are, can't get any cricket commentary or by any other means that they can. You know, we constantly get emails going, oh, God, you saved my life. I'm in, you know, Southeast Asia somewhere and I can't get any commentary of the England game or I'm in, you know, an island in the South Pacific or something. And it's quite, you know, it's like, wow, someone's found us. They've looked up, they're desperate to get some cricket coverage and they're like, I guess some are old, but we've definitely got some young. I mean, if you look at our Twitter stat, 85% of our audience is 20 to 44 or something, which is great, you know. We're tapping into that younger audience who want a bit something a bit more fizzy. Is Twitter the main social media that you use? We use Twitter. We've, we've started experimenting with broadcasting live on Facebook Live. I mean, Twitter is the main way we communicate with our fans. It's the easiest way to do it. Um, we try to do more stuff at our website. And Facebook, I think... Facebook, I just think it's, it's either Facebook or YouTube to go trying to reach out on another platform. Billions of people use both, and I guess you're just trying to be found on those things. It's a bit hit or miss on Facebook, I've got to say. But, I mean, we get 
I think 30,000 views and we've been viewed for nearly 90,000 minutes or whatever that is on Facebook, which isn't bad when you consider the average person watches a Facebook video for 30 seconds or something. It's, it's higher than the average, but um, quite difficult. You're in amongst loads and loads of stuff out there. You know? Are those stats just for the Ashes series? or That's just for the Ashes series. Yeah, yeah. okay. And with the Facebook Lives or the YouTubes of this world, that's going into visual content. I've only seen you as an audio platform but yes well i mean essentially all we're doing well it's kind of i mean that's the thing whether it works or not it's a different matter it's kind of just trying to get out on another medium but i mean we've got a camera and it's like a you know it's like a webcam but it's a decent camera stuck in the corner of the room on us doing a commentary of watching the telly so i mean it is kind of trying to put the radio in in a in a visual format because it's radio to put it onto facebook or youtube where it makes more sense than just having our logo up there and audio yeah, but the BBC is doing exactly the same thing, that, that if you look at Five Live, they will often have a webcam on that, and they will put out, clip out that content, and it will be people in a radio studio, which exactly. is it's still people sitting in a room and talking, and you're putting visuals on that, and it's perceived to have added value, so, you know. Well, exactly, that's kill the thing, it. and by the fact that people are watching us, it's, it, it clearly does, you know. Trying to monetize all this stuff is obviously a difficult bit. Well, that's what I was going to talk about. I mean, for a start, let's go go to brass tacks. Is this a hobby or a business, or is it a hobby you hope to turn into a business? Well, it's kind of a hobby that we turn. I mean, we have to. Reg- we, we're a limited company. We make enough money. Uh, we do the Patreon thing, which is we ask people to donate. We did Kickstarters, and we raised. I think we raised about nine or ten grand in a couple of Kickstarters. But the problem I have with Kickstarters is you have such a limited time to do stuff, and you're constantly peppering your people, going, "No, we really need to raise five grand, and we only got four weeks to do it. Give us some money. Give us some money. Give us some money." And you're constantly doing that on social media. You do it once, and everyone's really amenable. You do it a second time even if it's like five months later they're like what you're asking for some money again whereas with patreon it's kind of like okay we exist if you want us to exist just give us a small amount a month and uh, you know like a lot of funding models people will sign up to get to unsign for six months then they'll remember some other people will sign up some people just donate one off and stuff like that so patreon makes us nearly a thousand pounds a month which covers our overheads. Then we have the GPL, which is a small-time game. That's a little micro, you know, it's all about micropayments, isn't it, on a web, and you're trying to get a big enough audience that all these micropayments down up for people paying you enough to be able to pay yourself eventually. So we have the GPL, we have... Uh, uh, And that's a prediction league game, right? That's the prediction league. So you have to guess the amount of runs in a day. Uh, it's one pound to enter. We take 50% of that. 50% goes in the pot. It's kind of like a lottery. Although I kind of like to think it's a game of skill because you, you watch certain games and you know exactly where the score is. In fact, it got won three times throughout this Ashes series, I think. Uh, the last win was just the day before, the last day, the fourth day of the last test. I won 120 quid. So, you know, it's, it's not great beans, but it's quite fun. Uh, and what does that earn you on a monthly? But what did it earn you during well, the Ashes series? Probably only about 120 quid. Or okay. Enough. Well, no, probably more than that. Probably about 200, 250 quid. And we got t-shirts. We, you know, we got a merchandise store. That's probably made us a thousand pounds over the last year. Um, and we have, the audio archive is quite successful, actually. We have, I think we've got over 200 subscribers and that's 20 quid a pot. That's like four grand a year. And your costs are what? You say a thousand for the year or a thousand for the season? No, I mean, we have costs. Uh, it's my house, but I don't charge rent. Um, the cost is just covering a mortgage payment, council tax, uh, electric, water, okay. all the bills, basically, and internet. And uh, it does cover that. And we've got a little bit of surplus for thing, when things go wrong if we need to buy a little bit of extra kit. So, I mean, it does, it, it funds itself now. I mean, I started off funding it. When we first started, I bought all the original kit and all that kind of stuff. And then when we first started, of course, we, we had free accommodation because we, we started off where we ended at Test Match Sofa, which is in a TV studio in town, where the guy was the guy who was the accountant there was quite high up, was a massive cricket lover, and he liked us. And so when we started up again, I phoned him up and said, look, we're thinking of starting again. Can we use the space? And he was like, yes. And we managed six months there. And then we got booted out of there because they wanted to make money out of the studio space. Then the bar we used to drink at in the bottom of that building, he loved us because we used to drink there a lot. And we said, look, we've got nowhere to go. The Ashes have come out. It's going to be really large. Can we do the Ashes live from your pub? And he was really into it. it was Because it's right in the center of town, so they don't get a lot of passing traffic. So he let us do the Ashes in there. And then we moved to Katie's flat for a few months. And then my flat became vacant. And we've been in there since. And we've made enough money to keep it going there. So, so 
All right, you've got the Patreon, you've got the membership you've, uh, with the jingles, the T-shirts, and I want to talk about the jingles specifically in a bit because they're great. But the, but just to stick on the monetization for a second, where else can you go? Would you look for a sponsor? Because you've, you've got fan channels like Arsenal Fan TV, which has done exceptionally well, and that's grown to such an audience now. Obviously, it's football and it's Premier League football, and it's it's on a different scale. But it's got it's got sponsorships. It's got it's got betting partners now across it. And are you hoping to get to that level where you can get a sponsoring? Because that's the next obvious step. Well, that that will be my hope. I think that's got to be the the guiding principle is we've got to get to that level. But it's really important that we create you know, by getting there. We you know keep our creative control and that's where i think everything went wrong with the cricket so i don't want to go down that line again where someone comes and i'm going to give you any money but it's got to be like this it can't be like that so we we need to be in control of our creative yeah i've thought about sponsorship a lot gambling and booze in the obvious ones because it's sport you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're, always... you're targeting gambling and booze <laughs> well i would go that way you know recently we got dave brooke on board he's the xmd of channel four weirdly and he loves us found us in shanghai he's been doing a bit on this ashes and he hopefully he's got some contacts uh, and we're gonna you know we're gonna have meetings and we're gonna talk to him and hopefully we'll find something and the other thing i think is we could expand this into it's not necessarily just doing the content i wouldn't i mean i'm a football fan but i'm not and i'm a rugby fan but i don't know enough about those sports to be able to do the commentary but i have had thoughts that you could sort of expand it get other people who are doing the things that we do which is not going to be easy to do but you can find them and sort of aggregate yourselves in one space and you get yourself a bigger audience and most sport fans listen to other sports and do other things too bigger audience possible more money to come in yeah that was interesting because i've often thought about if what sky soccer Saturday is doing is totally legal and what you're doing is totally legal in terms of you are commenting on what is going on on a screen and that's obvious well that is a that is a decent fans youtube channel and i'm surprised somebody's not moved into that with football because actually that's more easily monetizable than cricket just because it's a, a darn sight bigger sport exactly exactly and you could do it and it wouldn't be hard to do on a saturday afternoon on a live game you know um exactly you don't necessarily have to do commentary you just have to have people who are, are really into i mean sky even did it didn't they with fans zone for crying out loud it was just quite poor you need, it's about how people interact with each other when they're watching the sport as much as anything else. Just putting random people on microphones watching stuff might not necessarily work, but there's a way and means of doing anything. And there are certainly sports like golf and snooker where there's lots of dead time. Even in, actually, NFL would be a good example. You've got a 60 minute game that spans over four hours. There's plenty of time to spout shit, isn't there? <laughs> so, you know, all these things are possible. Yeah, I wouldn't put that on your tagline. Plenty of time no. to spout shit. <laughs> um, I'm not. A, I'm not a branding expert, but I'm just yeah, a little bit of advice from me. It's interesting because uh, back in the day, many moons ago, I was uh, I was involved with a cricket magazine called Johnny Miller '96 Not Out. Back in the day, County Cricket Magazine, and we were similarly anarchic, and we were talking about county cricket and, and international cricket, and we. Eventually grew and grew and got in WH Smiths. And even though, you know, I, I was working with a guy called uh, David Cotton, Billy Cotton out of Bristol, innovative guy trying to do something different. And we got in WH Smiths. It became a legitimate magazine. And in my opinion, things changed and there was a, a little bit of perhaps sanitization that got on and it got very commercial. And you're already, already talking about, yes, we want to grow, but we need to grow within our own parameters and stay true to what we're doing. And that's always hard because in music, a, a band is edgy when they, when they're young and then they, they get accused of selling out, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's always that struggle, isn't it? So how do you grow, make this legitimate concern, get more, and also get more professional when the fun is the amateur side of it. You've got all those things to struggle with as, as you grow. It's just an interesting case. Well, yeah, they are. And I've often thought about this and I, I do wonder whether you, I mean, this is, this is exactly what happened with a cricketer. And I kind of think, God, I don't want to go there. So do you want to stay amateur? No, I quite like to, I mean, I've never, to be fair, I don't know if I want to make an absolute fortune out of it. I've always thought if it could provide me with a little bit of income, because I've got other things going on as well, that would be enough. It would be kind of validation, as it were. You know, just to say, well, actually, this thing is a going concern. It can pay. I mean, we, I've worked out that if we, for example, if we wanted to pay six people a day £100 and cover our costs for a year, bearing in mind I used to work in TV and I know how much it used to cost to make an episode of a TV show I used to work on, we could do this for hundred grand a year. 
Now, 100 grand a year in terms of production for radio, for the amount of days we do, considering that's 100 days. So I don't think it's impossible to get that money. And in that sense, if you could do it in that way, you probably could keep your integrity there because in terms of what you're costing someone in terms of if they could get a, if someone was a, a sponsor or something I don't think if you could get a few it's not, it's not a massive outlay for them and maybe they wouldn't be so bothered but it does worry me because if you then presumably the bigger you get like we've, we've had guests in and actually we had Tony, Tony Piger and he was great in the series and he kind of got it the thing is if you want to get to a certain degree you want to get professionals in but to a certain degree you don't want professionals coming in and making it really bland because that's what you're fighting against there, so you've got to find professionals who are prepared to go, well, I haven't got a media career, and actually this is good fun, and I can spout what I like here and be a little bit controversial and not worry about it, and everyone else is going to join in with me. And that's hard to find, to be fair, amongst a lot of S-clubs. They're trying to get into the media. A lot of them want to get a media career, so they don't want to annoy anyone else, whereas we're not really bothered about that. You talk about getting legitimation. Does that come through the guests you get on? Because you've, you've had... You know, MPs on there and decent ex-players, uh, some comedians on there as well. Does that, is that, no, are you, no, no, no I, I don't think, I think legitimization comes from getting an income out of it and being able to say to people, look, we've done this and people are prepared to pay us to do this as a service. That's legitimate to me. Getting a bunch of guests on, as you say, we've had guests on. Does it make us legitimate? No, not necessarily. I think if you want to consider yourselves a legitimate business, you have to say, well, we made an income. And to a certain degree, you can say we are legitimate. You know, we do make an income. We make, you know, probably fourteen, fifteen thousand 15,000 pounds. It's not much. But you have to say that people are prepared to pay us to do something. Then there's, there's an argument to say that it's legitimate. And you've moved into covering, I thought you were covering Australia or India, were you? So you moved away from England being strict on England, right? We've always been a bit, you know, if there's a series, for example, you know, I mean, we did, um, I think we did that series because, well, there was a time when we were talking to someone and they wanted us to do something. So we originally, when we, oh, just after we first started, we covered uh, Pakistan versus Australia. Sometimes neutral series are great fun because you don't have any investment. And actually, if you know, you're an English person, you hate Australia. So watching Australia get slammed in the UAE is, is highly amusing. And much the same when England lost to, well, when after the India tour, England didn't play for about bloody five months. So it was like, well, are we going to be off air for five months? Not much point being off air for five months when you're trying to cover cricket. And Australia were going to India for four tests. So it was an opportunity to get on there, a neutral series try and pick up people who, you know, aren't just Indian, uh, England centric. And it is quite fun. Random series. So there's not a commercial aspect to that because, you know, if you look at, if you, no. look, if you look purely commercially, I'd be saying cover the IPL, <laughs> cover the IPL because that's the biggest audience around. It is, it is. But, you know, the well, I mean, this is it. I don't know about you, but me, I can watch T20. It's an enjoyable thing, but it's just so forgettable. And I understand the excitement about it. And we did cover a few IPLs this this year. And actually, I watched four, and only one was interesting. Had a tight finish. And but, you know, Test cricket for me has always been a why we started a Test match. So for why we carry on doing Test matches, it's the pinnacle, the drama of Test matches is where it is for you know serious cricket fans. And this is the dilemma you have about exactly what you're saying is that uh, all the money's going to T20s. I mean, I think personally, I think that ODI cricket should just be abolished. Completely agree. That's the, to be honest. That's where I am now. Just moving on away from anything to do with with digital and stuff like that. Moving yeah. on to sport. I'm passionate about Test cricket because it's like a great play. It's nuanced. It, you understand things, relationships, mini dramas within a drama. And it's a long. It's a long established play. And T20 is like a soap opera. It's wham bam and thank you, ma'am. And yeah. it's exciting. I get that. But the first thirty overs of a fifty over game. A dull as hell, as far as I'm concerned. Well, exactly. I mean, that's why T20 was bought in because I think ODIs were getting a bit tedious. I mean, if you look at a bloody ODI World Cup, it goes on for about eight bloody weeks, and it's pointless game after pointless game yeah, after pointless game. Yeah, but the one thing we've got, and moving away from digital sport again, is I struggle with as a cricket fan. I understand the ODI World Cup because it's a World Cup. I understand World Cups. I understand those tournaments. Increasingly, with Test cricket, because there's a lack of a test championship that I properly understand outside of the ashes because all the, it, it used to be the case that India came over one year and then South Africa came over next year and we'd be going to Pakistan and we'd be going to the West Indies and then they'd flip it around. You understood those series. Now it's all jumbled up and I, un, I, I don't understand what a win in a series over South Africa at home, what does it actually mean? 
What does it actually mean? The ashes, I understand what it means. The ODI World Cup, I understand what it means. It's getting that understanding of, of the competition because it's too jumbled up these days because they've just thrown more into the calendar. That's that's my cricket issue at the, at the moment. That and, and and 50 over games. Yeah, I mean, well, 50 over games, the reason I... I I mean, the reason I say you can give ODI cricket is because now T20 is... I mean, ODI was there as a short form of the game to get people interested. T20 is even shorter form of the game. Uh, you need less suspension span. You can get more people to watch that. And you don't need two short forms of the game, which is my reason for getting ODI cricket out of the way. Test cricket, I don't know. I've come around and went and thinking about how I enjoy test cricket. And you're right. Well, series are kind of meaningless, but that's the whole thing about each test is a drama in its own right, I suppose. I mean, if we'd have won that last test in Sydney, I'd have been, oh, well, we won a test. Excellent. And I'd have been really happy that we won a test. I've watched so much now that I'm kind of, I, I see, each, I mean, it's nice to win a series, but each each test is its own individual event in a way. You're right about test championships. We've mooted this on the show many a times. I mean, I think you should have each test should count points or something, some sort of scoring system. And at the end of every couple of years, you should get the top four teams in one country, wherever it be, probably a neutral venue. So, for example, in England, we have seven test matches in the summer. You should actually have a full-on semis and finals. And the semis, the test, there should be three test matches between well, no, first and third and second and fourth that span the beginning of the summer. And then the final is a four-test series in England. I mean, that'd be cracky. No one's going to go for that, but that's my view. <laughs> it, it needs to have some sort of conclusion. But yeah, anyway, but- anyway I, 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 it, my podcast is called Sport, Digital and Social. I need to get back onto it. I need- <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to do cricket, but I, I need to get back on it. Now, your jingles. Your jingles are fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. I do love them. And you, for a start, who does them? Where's your inspiration come from? And and you're monetizing them as well. So there's an interesting story around your jingles in general. Right. So originally, when we test my sofa, I said to Dan, look, we need jingles. And I was thinking purely from a marketing point of view about we need channel jingles for, you know, Stings, etc., etc. That was my my media head coming on, and that immediately took a life of its own. And Dan said, "We went into these studios and immediately became players and things like that." And it just took a life of its own from there. And that was Test Match Sofa days, and there were some really poor ones. And then we had James Sherwood, who was a little musical genius, musical comedian, and he was on at the back end of the sofa, and he started off with us on Gorilla, uh, and he was our jingle master for a long time. Then he kind of went off on his own little road. We take little snippets out of stuff on YouTube, and then. I suppose, what was it? It's just on anchor. So now for 18, 19, 20 months now, we've had Jeff Perkins, who is a, an Australian in Wisconsin, I think, somewhere. And we've got Mog, who is an axe building nutter down in Melbourne. And they volunteered to start doing jingles. And now do jingles. And now other people have joined in. We've got another. So it's kind of a community thing. So people on the internet send them to us. And if they're brave enough to do them and they start sending them in and they're any good, we'll start using them. Got up in Stokes and he called me a c- Oh, if I'd only seen that Ben Stokes was so mean. It's a jingle for every four, every wicket, every new batsman, every six. Is that the way it works? It, yeah, it kind of works that way. You know, we've got probably about 44 jingles now and 20-odd six jingles. We've got jingles for pretty much every player. Some of them are poor. Like when we did the IPL, we were only going to do a few matches and then a bunch of players that we'll probably never use again. And so, you know, we didn't even ask for them. And some of them, oh, you're going to do the IPL, you're doing these matches. I sent in, you know, an Apple voice over some horrible sort of, Casio Samba or something and it's quite poor so you know I'm not going to say all of them are genius but there are some, there are some absolute bits of genius in those in those bits of music there. technology has changed quite a lot even since 2009 when Test Match Sofa started yeah very much so how have you brushed up your offering technically you know because what you're saying here is you can produce a perfectly i was going to say legitimate broadcast i'm not sure if you will like that word but it's it's a proper broadcast with 
lots of professional broadcast standards across it and the means of production is just getting cheaper and cheaper and the kit you can get is better and better for a lower cost so how much have you changed even in those eight years you've been going well in terms of the audio not really because the audio is uh, so much so that it's a desk and it's mics and it's compressors and it's all that kind of stuff and it's what you can afford but it is quite cheap but it's in terms of being able to get it out to the world of course it's the internet and so you know you find a, a hosting solution who will give you you know i mean we pay i think 24 dollars a month supposedly unlimited listeners never reached a, we i don't think we ever hit a barrier on it so it's it's never been a problem uh, that's twenty four dollars a month to broadcast to the world, and, and the, the software we use is is a, a program that costs about fifteen dollars or something as well. And we can archive all our material in that, and it's great. I mean, there are many other solutions out there, and I've looked at time, and sometimes I think, well, actually, the solution we got is is pretty solid, and it, it doesn't really need changing. It was only when we bought in the camera and finding ways to get that onto using that again. I mean, it was a second hand camera I found on eBay, but it's it's a ten eighty p camera. For 700 quid, it's got 20 times optical zoom, full HD, and I can whack that into my computer on a little box that cost me 125 quid that I found on the internet. Um, that goes into a, a little bit of software called Wirecast, which is $700. You know, you've got a, a pretty much an online broadcast suite for less than $1,500. You know. What about your analytics? What's your audience size? And do you dig into your analytics to find out where they come from? You talked about ages b- before. So do you spend a lot, a lot of time analyzing your audience and tailoring your content according to what you see? Uh, not really tailoring it according to what we see in terms of age, because I think they're all young and we, and, and this is, this is where we are. However, I do look into the analytics and I do look at the numbers and I think the numbers for the Ashes have been pretty good. I think we've been listened to for nearly a million hours over the course of the Ashes by probably 60,000, 70,000 people. And then you've got the extra 25,000 people on Facebook. So 100,000 probably uniques listening over, you know, the, the average person listens for, I think, the average person listens for 18, 19 hours over the average, uh, over the Ashes, which is also pretty good when you consider it's only 25 days of broadcasting. So, you know, and the way that people come in and out of cricket. That's an average. I think it's not bad, actually. I'm, I'm quite impressed with the figures. But it is series-dependent. You know, if you get, uh, this is the thing about what you were saying earlier about cricket and, and series not meaning anything. I mean, uh, the, the figures for the, the West Indies series weren't particularly great. They picked up, actually, in the second test when they won. But, you know, most of the people thought, oh, this is going to be a pretty dull series. Or if it's in the middle of the night in the UAE or something, you may not get such good figures. But that's pros and cons of or the ups and downs of doing international cricket. People like certain series and don't like others. Same with any sport, isn't it, really? You know, it's, it's what engages with the people, which is, comes back to your point about maybe we should do the IPL. We have moved it. It's, it's a long old schedule and it covers other things going at the same time. And the way that they're listening, I was listening via desktop, but you don't have an app, which I thought was interesting because apps are a way that to take audio commentary mobile and they're relatively simple to do. So... Are all those 100,000 people listening through their laptop, their desktop, or, or is there a way of listening to it mobile? Presumably you can get it through the browser on your mobile phone. Yes. But, I mean, my, but my, that's a bit clunky, isn't it? Because you've got to stick on the browser then, haven't you? Yes, I know. And uh, the one that is the next thing to do would be to get an app. And it is a question I don't know an app designer. I mean, originally when I looked at apps, they wanted about 15 grand to make an app so it's out the window now. But you can get all these ones now. And because we were stuck a little bit with TuneIn as well, but over this soon, TuneIn have bought in a lot of ads now on their feed and a lot of people are complaining. They also, the thing about TuneIn for such a big company, they wouldn't allow you to skin their player completely, which is why now we've got our own little widget player on our on our website, which means that we can have it in the header, which means you can cruise through our website without losing the feed on the website. So this series, we've noticed that, you know, probably 85, 90% of our traffic has actually been through the website on a, on a mobile phone, which is quite good. We then lead you into, obviously, that obviously now the next step is to make an app. And I think I'll be looking into that. We've got some funds saved up from this series, and I think I'll probably get one done. It's deciding what needs to go on it and getting it done, but we can probably get one for about a grand, maybe even less to go to the right people. I didn't realize you were on TuneIn. What was that experience like? Did you get a lot of traffic from it, and how long did it last? Well, we've been on TuneIn. So, well, because originally, when, again, going back to Test Match Safe, we wanted to be on mobile phones, and mobile phones and radio, you could get radio like on an old Nokia. I mean, these go back to the old Nokia, whatever. They had the radio player on it, and then, of course, you started having Blackberries and stuff with browsers and apps and, and first uh, uh, iPhones and stuff. So people would be able to listen to internet radio on a phone. And we, talk, we looked at trying to get onto Apple radio, and it's just, you know, you have to fill in all these forms and all this crap. And as 
guys just cruising around the net and uh, found this company called TuneIn. Got in touch with them one night and by six o'clock next morning they'd approved us and we were, we were able to broadcast it. And when we were testing myself, someone had struck a deal with this company in East London who gave us this flash player, which was never any use, but we stuck with it until we had a test match sofa. And obviously we dropped that with TuneIn. And then TuneIn was our, was our only player and it was on our website and it was our only way of listening to it. But now we've outgrown TuneIn because they've got these ads and I'm not sure where TuneIn are at, to be honest. So is it the ads that's the big problem here or the ads in general are a big problem? You don't want... Ads is found, we found that our listeners didn't want ads. Right. And the only because the player was our own little widget, which is made up in the browser by JavaScript, et cetera, et cetera, it, see, TuneIn tune is just an aggregator. So they, we have a feed and we have a server feed and it's got a server address. And, of course, that's just sent to TuneIn and then they face it up and they put it on their thing. So we just take the raw stream from where our stream is and put it into our... Into our um, widget now we could and the same with uh, again going to facebook as well so these streams are pure from us i I don't i don't have anything against having ads i'm not sure i I like rolling ads but certainly product placement and things like that and stream for us would be a a way of making money without i mean we drink a lot of beer (laughs) (laughs) it's a valuable service you give to the cricketing community exactly we drink beer we drink wine and we bet and you can do those things without (laughs) the thing is you can have all this this is product placement essentially on the internet we bet with uh, this is why those things will work you know oh pass me a can of stella you know you can you can advertise those things without having to have a 30 second advert so I would like, I, if I was to say uh, I wanted sponsorship and I wanted to do advertising and that kind of thing, I think I'd go down that route. I'd say, look, we don't want to have a 30 se- we don't want to have a block of two minutes where we have four 20 or four 30 second ads in a drinks break or whatever. Let's just get a sponsorship model and go, okay, we're going to product place everything or something like that. It, it, it's interesting because one of the massive advantages you've got covering cricket is especially test cricket it's a really long game yes so you'd argue you could squeeze an advert in and a few adverts in there and nobody would notice but your audience are actively telling you they don't like that well they don't like the pre-roll adverts and the problem with tuning i think was that if they got to a point or it's got to a point that if and obviously if you're mobile and you're doing it on 4g if it dropped when it came back in it would give you another ad when you came back in which is bloody irritating and I can understand that. And there are other, I mean, the thing is, we found, you see, because TuneIn had a block, had an outage in one, I can't remember when it was. It was, uh, it was late in the summer. And we are like, TuneIn's not working, TuneIn's not working. And it was coming in from all over the world, and we can get into TuneIn website. And of course, then people still come, oh, no, you can get it on this simple radio app, or you can get it on Streamer. And it's like, what? I didn't bloody, I haven't signed up to Stream, and I haven't, you know. So there are plenty of little radio apps out there, kind of stripped out. You know, they've gone into the code somewhere and found where the original stream address is and then just whacked it up there. And I got in with a couple of them and said, well, you know, what are our figures then? Some of them stayed silent. I got an arsey response from one saying, oh, we only give this information to people who own the stream. And I, I said, oh, well, actually, it's my company. I'm a director. <laughs> I quite like to know what my figures are. And then, you know, so then I had some higher up got back and oh, sorry about that. I didn't understand, you know, da 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 da, da. What figures do you want? Because I was saying to them, listen, you know, uh, if TuneIn screw up and some other stream are doing us and it's advert-free, uh, you know, I'm quite happy to put that for us. Being out in the world is great. I just need to know how many people are listening. So if I'm on your streaming service, it's not a big deal to me at the moment anyway because we're trying to grow. Uh, but I need to be able to get access to my figures. Uh, otherwise, well, I could lie about them, which I probably do. But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know without being able to get access to the information, it, it becomes tricky. I mean, where am I? I mean, other people have emailed into, oh, you're on this weird service in Australia, you on, you know, and you go to that website and you find us on there. You know, But people strip out e- uh, stream addresses and, and start up a radio app. You don't know. And presumably there's, there must be some benefit, be it financial or not, for them doing that. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. You're yes. okay with that at the moment. Because you just want to get out there, but at some point you might have to take that back if if you well yeah, get sponsors I mean, that, or it becomes more of a going concern. Well, that's that's the internet, isn't it? And you know, all these services say, well, we'll have a we'll have a way of aggregating aggregating audience soon. You know, if you want something, email us, and I have emailed them and they've not responded. So you know, you kind of think this is true. Maybe it will do. But uh, my web my webman says that we could lock it down. We could always change stream address. If we're doing it on our website, we can change the stream address. Just going onto another server or whatever, it's, it, that wouldn't be a problem. And then it, it would immediately dissipate the problem if you have to keep doing it. But if it was only available on our website and our app, we can do that our end. And they'd have to chase it around, I suppose. As you said, I don't have a problem with it at the moment. It's, um, 
the more people hear us, the better. Final few questions. Let's talk about where you're going in the future. And I've asked you on this topic already, but what about the powers that be? What, whatever the cricket authorities, whatever a cricket authority, is it totally quiet there? Are they totally cool with you now? You're just doing your thing? Well, I don't know. I mean, we don't have, I mean, Hendo and me have very different ideas about this. Hendo thinks that they're still after us. I just think that's paranoid. I just think they've got more things to worry about than us. I know I, I, from anecdotal evidence, I, I, you know, I, I think some of the other commentators get a bit annoyed with us because we say what we like and uh, uh, some of our Twitter followers tweet at them and tell them things that aren't responsible for. <laughs> but, so these things go around and we obviously know people are there, but they're not actively going against us. But I also think it's lazy uh, and people on the inside have been, were told something yonks ago and it's convenient to remain that way. And that cricket establishment is a very cosy little establishment, you know. Whereas cricket is, it's a kind of a, I hate to say it's becoming a niche sport, but because it's shoved on Sky, I mean, you, uh, I mean, this is it. If you talk to um, Dave Brooke, the, this ex, uh, the ex-MD of Channel 4, you know, we've got 8 million people watching someone at 6,005. I mean, he got some of the figures. He wrote an article on a website called This is the Invisible Ashes. Some of the figures for the D2 are 150,000 a day. Uh, I'm afraid, yeah, as, as cricket fans, 2005 was a high point and a low point just yeah. because the Ashes is the last time that cricket took over the country. Yeah, exactly. Because it, because the crown jewels were sold to uh, satellite broadcasters and that meant they, it left the public consciousness. Absolutely. And I think it's really bad. You think even you look at rugby, I mean, the Premier League, which is on, you know, behind a paywall, but. You know, five nations, six nations now is always on terrestrial TV, uh, and people do watch it. People get excited about it. Therefore, it's on the news and da 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 da, da and all that kind of all that follows on. If you're endlessly behind a paywall, especially with it now being dissipated, you've got BT and you've got ESPN. have got their own channels over there, there in with BT, and then Sky have got their channels, and then you have to have all these subscriptions. It's like a lot of people who are commentating over this winter. They have Sky, but they don't have BT, and they're not going to get BT just for the winter. We obviously had to. So they haven't been out to watch it unless they've been in commentary. And that's exactly the same for me as well. I, I didn't I had Sky, I didn't get BT because for starts in the middle of the night and I know I know I'm gonna be nodding off. Yeah. I'm gonna be nodding off by twelve o'clock, so I'm not really gonna see that much anyway. So exactly, you know. Precisely. Um, so yeah, future. Some people would say, right, I'm going to do this for three years, five years, and if it if it isn't my full time job, then by then, boom, it's gone. You don't seem to have that approach to it. I keep saying that, and I keep carrying on. <laughs> That's the problem. I love watching cricket. My other job, I, I do property development, and um, hey, Brits, it's about how many knows what's happening there, and that doesn't take up massive amounts of my time. It does in small blocks, but it doesn't take up massive amounts of my time. Uh, and so I, I have a fair bit of time on my hands. Uh, I do worry. I go, well, how long can I keep doing this and not making enough money? I would like to make an income out of it. But it's a kind of a love-hate thing. You know, I've been doing it for so long now. I I keep going, well, you know, you come to an end of a series like this, you go, I can't keep doing this, I can't keep doing this. And then I won't see any cricket now. I'll probably take off a few of the ODIs, so I won't do a lot. And New Zealand tests will come around, you know, and I'll be refreshed and revigorated, and we'll start talking about the cricket again. I'll, you know, I'm a cricket fan, and so I'll go, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll do it again. But what about your social media followers? Are they tweeting you saying, oh, when are you doing it? They're, they've got an expectation now. You've now built Well, exactly, they do have an expectation. And that's where you go, well, you know, at some point, do you go, well, we can't carry on doing this anymore and we let everyone else down, we let everyone else, we let everyone down, basically, and go, well, actually, this is the end. You haven't given us enough money, people. <laughs> and we're out, you know. We've been trying, uh, we've been trying to tell you for so long and so long and so long that this needs to happen. Uh, Hendo is, is a lot more, I mean, he needs more income than I do out of this t- to make it viable for him. Uh, and he is getting a bit, scared about what the future holds for him and therefore yeah, I can't and the same with all the other people who, who we get in I mean they're all employed this is why we have so many people on staff you know it's only because Hendo's a self-employed writer and I'm, I do what I do and there are a couple of other people who are sort of um, like for example Grubby did an awful lot Paul Howarth did an awful lot for six eight months last year 
he's a freelancer as well. And, you know, the pressure's got too much for him and he had to go and get a job, you know. So he was great for six months and now he's out of the picture until the next time he has a hiatus in his his working environment. And, and other people are like that and they come in and they go out and stuff. And I guess me and him are the constants. But Fendo is no longer constant. I don't know if I could do the whole thing on my own because we kind of split responsibilities on what goes on. So I'm hoping it doesn't, but there is you can't ever say it won't happen well that was actually my last question but I'm not prepared to leave this interview on a, on a down note you've okay. got to be more optimistic than that you, you wouldn't have done it for so long you wouldn't be sticking with it unless you really loved it underneath you're, you're just doing the gruff thing with me that's all well, I do. I do love it. I mean, that's just it. And I really want to make it work. I mean, there's a part of me that's, that just says, look, you know, after what happened with the cricketer, I mean, I've got, you know, I don't have issues with Dan personally per se, but I think the way that we were treated and that whole thing just annoyed me. There's a little part of me, and I'm a very stubborn man, that goes, look, this has got to work. I've got to be able to prove it. Because I do think the concept of it and the concept of what we do and, you, and, and the, the point of expanding into other sports it's a it's cheap as i said it's easy to do and if you can get people who do it it works really well that's the whole point of this interview the fact that you are doing something different and you're trying to make a business of it and that's what i wanted to explore now you're doing it in cricket which is relatively low on the radar so perhaps the the rights issue hasn't been examined as much as if it was uh, a manchester united channel or something like that hmm. but you are doing something different in terms of creating content by kind of user generated content fan generated content trying yes. to make a business out of it and that's why i'm exploring i wanted to explore this in this podcast to see your approach to it the way it's worked the way it hasn't worked where you go forward with it if you can actually turn what is a labor of love into into a money-making business and it's it's so hard to do isn't it well, it is hard to do, but you also have to, you know, the thing is on the internet, you've got a worldwide audience. You're not just broadcasting to wherever your broadcast rights are or anything like that. I mean, that's the beauty of it. We're not geoblock. So you've got a worldwide audience of 7 billion people. So you have to think, you know. And this is the other thing we have actually done over the, since, uh, well, since the ICC Champions Trophy. We've invested a little bit in Google Ads and see how that works. We get decent click-through rates and all that kind of thing. So you've got to think you're hitting people who've never heard you before. They're going to come on. Some of those are going to stick. That's going to grow your audience over time. That takes a little bit of money. I mean, uh, four of us invested two grand for Google Ads for the winter, and it generated a load of clicks. Unfortunately, it didn't. I was hoping it would generate more patrons. Uh, it didn't, which is unfortunate. But still, I think, you know, it's it's uh, a worthwhile exercise and, and marketing those things. But it's the worldwide audience, and you can get the sport, and if you can get enough awareness of you. And I don't have the – This is I'm always looking for someone who uh, – is, has more contacts and it's all about someone who's got contacts getting in touch with someone else to a certain degree helping you out or pushing you in a direction getting your getting our player on a on a bigger site as well as our own uh, some indian site or something like that that would uh, gain an audience if you could gain an audience and stick with it i think i think we need an audience of 40 or 50,000 regularly on a daily basis which in worldwide figures is tiny and when you look at sports fans it's tiny would make it a massively going concern, which isn't too far away, really, when you look at it. Yeah, I'm positive, even though I said all those things earlier. <laughs> right, I'm prepared to end it there. <laughs> Good. All right. So, thank you for your time. That's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to Sport, Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can find Richard on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for at Mr. Richard Clark or at his website, mrrichardclark.com. 